coming to Kansas City. This is M.C. Richardson. I'm going to go back on my tenure in the U.S. Navy and also California, just like um, our person in, who left his heart in San Francisco, um, Tony Bennett. I left my heart in San Francisco, Long Beach, uh, <laughs> San Diego, <laughs> L.A., and you name it. But today we're going to talk about a few things, and we have uh, an exciting guest that most people give you a lot of good information about Kansas City, who were actually born in Kansas City, or their parents told them about uh, what happened before they got here. Well, anyway, this young lady just so happened, she did not come to Kansas City when she was two. She waited till she got three. And they brought her here from uh, Topeka. And we do have as our guest host, her daughter, Cheyenne Hubbard, and the one who knows everything, Miss Candace Price. Now, I was speaking of things that happened here in Kansas City, but the young lady who her daughter will probably go into more detail that this lady, an entertainer, a singer, she worked at uh, Channel 41 here in Kansas City, she worked at the Kansas City Star, she traveled not only to Shanghai, but also to Singapore, I think a couple times. So she has a wealth of information, not just hearsay, she has a wealth of information. Now, Cheyenne, would you introduce our guest today? Hello, my name is Cheyenne Hubbard, and I will be interviewing my mother, Candace Price. And, hi, Mom. <laughs> uh, can, you tell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah. well, before you get to that, before your mother done so many things here in Kansas City, I just want to let you know that guess who's coming to Kansas City through podcasting? has reached and is reaching seven countries. That is amazing. Plus the people can get this show on Facebook, face let me get it right people, <laughs> Facebook and also YouTube. But Candace Price, she has a tremendous background in this. She just doesn't take the word of people and she's on a lot of outstanding national committees for the betterment <laughs> MC we messing up today aren't we? For the betterment of our people and other people. So with that in mind, we're going back to Cheyenne. Yes, yes, I was going to ask her to introduce herself how she got to Kansas City and how she grew up to love the city. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Candace Price, and I'm really happy to be uh, on this show today. It's an honor to be able to uh, just kind of bring my story or talk a little bit about what's going on and who I am. And I was originally born in Topeka, Kansas. I was born, of course, after they did the Brown versus the Board decision, but my family was involved in that. And, um, and so what had happened, they... They lived there, but then they moved to Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and I think I was probably about 
three years old or whatever when they moved to Kansas City, Kansas, on Twin Daryl. And, uh, and from uh, Kansas City, Kansas, we moved to Kansas City, Missouri. So by the time I was about uh, five or six ready to start kindergarten, I was in Kansas City, Missouri, right off 27th and Garfield, uh, which is where we do a lot of our events at Spring Valley uh, Park. And on the corner of the block, we had, it was one of the first blocks, I think, that uh, initially was getting integrated because you couldn't go past 27th Street. The 27th Garfield was first uh, integrated by a, a man by the name of Mr. Woods, and he was a Pullman porter. And then Mrs. Ward, who lived next door, her husband was also a Pullman porter. And, and uh, on the end of the block was Leon Jordan. Uh, famous Kansas Cityan and Inez Kaiser. So I had a lot of pioneers on my block that I grew up with. I, when I was little, I didn't know, but they were some great people. I, fortunately, I, you know, I was mentored by them. Let me interject, if you would, uh, Candace. Well, they said black folks could not, or Negroes of color, could not live past 27th Street, some on 28th. But out on 54th, east of Prospect, you have the Keiths, you have the Shelbys, and you have the Davis. Now back to you, Candy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it just started uh, kind of like spreading everywhere, and and that's when the beginning of a lot of the flight, the white flight, where people moved out because you know at the time they had like Central High School, they had the cell, they were white white schools. Um, but when I lived in on twenty uh, seventh Garfield, and I went to Winterfellow, you know, right off Vine, and also Lincoln Junior, the Lincoln High School. And uh, a wonderful education. It was all black, so it was segregated. I didn't know anything about uh, being going to school with a white person or have white teachers. I think I might have had one or two white teachers when I was coming up. The majority of them were black. And I had an excellent education because the majority of, them, of our teachers were masters and PhDs because they could not teach in other schools, so they all uh, taught us. And we had uh, a heck of an education, you know, it was just really great, but I didn't know until I went to UMKC, uh, that's where I attended college, and um, I think I graduated in 85 or whatever, but when I, when I went to UMKC, uh, I, I was a little, I was scared, because I didn't know if I could, if I could do it, you know, because um, we kept hearing about how smart white people were, they were smarter than us, and their education was better, they had better books, they had everything, and, uh, you know, our books were kind of like old, <laughs> they were second grade or whatever, but our educators were so good, they they taught us beyond the book, and plus, when I was going to school, we had black history, and I hear a lot of people, were, I wasn't taught that in school, I didn't hear that, well, fortunately, <clears throat> with, the, with us, we got a lot of black education, black history, Things that they're trying to stop now in our school, kind of critical race theory. They're trying to stop that. I had a lot of that, but also my family uh, taught it at our table. There was a lot of black history going on because we had people in our family that were history makers. We had family friends like Langston Hughes, who was a good friend of my grandfather, Dr. Charles Price out of Sega, who was the first black dentist in Kansas, and he was a doctor as well. So, you know, at that time, the dentist could also, um, he played with Mahiria Fish, so, so he was a surgeon as well as a dentist. So, but his friends were uh, Hattie McDaniel. They were very close. 
Um, and like I said, Langston Hughes. And uh, our home in Topeka was used a lot of times, like they had the green book that they talked about. People that were passing through stayed at our home in Topeka. And so there was, uh, you know, uh, Will Chamberlain, Frankie Lyman, Bruce Brown, uh, you name it, a lot of the celebrities and entertainers stayed there because they could not stay in the in the hotels that they performed at or whatever, whatever venue they performed at. So they had to have uh, families along the way to stay with them. So they always stayed at our home, our family home. And that's how we had a lot of uh, entertainers and celebrities that were family friends. You know, uh, this is Cheyenne speaking. And you brought up a lot of valid points about how, you know, they're not teaching black history or any type of history that isn't, like, white in the schools. I can attest to that. I learned more from my family, you all, and just listening to my elders about certain histories, right? Even though the school I went to was considered a historical black school, which was Sumner Academy. It was on the Kansas side, but it's right by Missouri. And... We just never learned that history, and I think it's very important for, like, the older people in our family to talk about what happened, what you grew up with, <laughs> because some of these concepts seem kind of foreign to me, like going to a segregated school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I couldn't even imagine, because um, a lot of my schools were diverse, both mainly minority, and I think that's uh, reflected from uh, Kansas, City, uh, Kansas City being segregated, right, through racial, pro uh, racial laws in place that they want to sell to black people or any other minorities in certain areas. You can still see that reflecting on how the housing situation is nowadays. Definitely. Uh, you know, to speak of, um, what had happened is that where my grandmother lived in, they had a integrated block. So they had black and white, you know, and there were Native Americans in the block. They lived on Fourth and Fillmore. And Fourth and Fillmore was right down the street, right across the street. is Sumner there where Linda Brown from the Brown versus the Board was taken to be enrolled, and they would not let her come. So therefore, that kind of kicked off that policy, Brown versus the Board. But the interesting piece about Sumner, there in Topeka, it is Richmond. At one point, it was all black school. And then it became white. And then it became, you know, then it had it uh, mixed. They had the blacks on one side and the whites on the other side. And, and it was all because of the real estate piece. So across the street from my, uh, my mother's, my grandmother's house, was some white neighbors were there. And they were very hostile and angry. And that's the first time I heard because they, every time we come out or we'd be outside, her name was Kathy. Oh, crazy Kathy would come out and, and just fling all these words, the N-word, at us. what are you all looking at, blah, blah, blah. But the interesting thing is her daughter had children by black men. And so all her grandchildren, three or four of them, uh, were, were, you know, biracial kids, and she would call them in. So that was my first, you know, uh, kind of uh, where I had this, experience and I'm like what <laughs> you know and I'm looking at my mom and they're like can we just go to this you know let's get this on and they're like oh she's just mental she's crazy so those are the kind of dynamics that were taking place you know there and then coming back to Kansas City being in an all 
you know, black neighborhood. I mean, I enjoyed myself. I didn't have that uh, problem of somebody, you know, um, slinging those words or having teachers that I had to be concerned about uh, not having love for me or wanting to me to uh, be educated. Like when you went to Sumner, the majority of your teachers were white. Oh, yeah, which <laughs> is quite funny because a lot of the kids there were not white. I, I didn't tell you that much. I think about like 70% were at least, maybe 80% were minority, black and brown people. And yeah, you can tell, like I remember, I had racist teachers and that definitely affected my education because I was like, hmm, I hope this teacher doesn't hate me because of how I look. You just never know. Well, it didn't make sense that they were in the school system anyway where they're teaching majority minority, but you did have racist teachers and I took care of them. <laughs> yeah, I had teachers and I'm like, oh no, not today. And Sumner was a uh, historical, historical black school. You know, your Uncle Bobby went there, you know, and and uh, back in the 60s or whatever, they went, it was a, a phenomenal school like Lincoln in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, you had these two stellar schools with these uh, excellent teachers that loved us dearly and made sure that we were educated and prepared to go into the world. And we what, was there any other uh, black schools, like high schools or anything in um, Kansas City, Missouri? Oh yeah, when I was coming to Beth Monday, we had Lincoln, we had Central, we had Purcell, we had Manuel, you know, parts of uh, Westwood or whatever, those were your Southeast. Uh, those were your your black schools, and they were great. But we had uh, we had excellent teachers in all of our schools. We had band, uh, great musicians. We had great football teams, a lot of sports. They played hockey, mean swimming. We learned all of that. We were totally equipped. We had home ec, and uh, people could you know could sew and cook. And we had uh, they had uh, different uh, auto mechanics. So everybody was skilled. So when they came out of school, you could get a job and be prepared. I mean, we were ready. Let me add to it, uh, both Candy and uh, Jermaine. We had RT codes. That was a trade school. And the people could learn the different trade, tellering. They could learn brick masonry. They could uh, learn shoe repair, uh, carpentry, electricity, and what have you. But they could not get into the unions. So a lot of them started their own companies, and we went from there. And both Sumner and Lincoln High School both had junior colleges. Yeah. Hmm. And I just want to remind the people, if you just tune in, this is a historical type uh, show we got today, and we want you to um, learn something. Get your pen, get your um, pad, whatever, write down how to contact these people. And Candace has a lot to say how she got into what she's doing now besides raising her daughter. So I'll let them continue. <laughs> and um, you said that Sumner High School had a junior college. I, like, I don't think I ever heard of that, actually. And that's mind-blowing because I went to that school multiple years. I probably walked by the junior the former junior college. But yeah, they just do not teach me these things. Like, I had to find out on Facebook who, uh, you know, Leon Jordan was. 
And he yeah. was very, you know, he was our neighbor. And when I was a little girl growing up, I just, I, he, they had a niece. So they would call uh, my mom or come to up and say, Candy, come on down. We need, you know, come to all the kids would play, you know, together. So when she was there, I'd go down to their house. And it was phenomenal. Liam Jordan was amazing. And he and his wife worked at Jordan. They were wonderful people. Uh, and they fought for, you know, the civil rights fighters. And, and, and just, I mean, his story is amazing. But there he had all this, this uh, African uh, art everywhere. First time I saw so much uh, that was sitting in his house because he had uh, lived over in Liberia and had worked over there. They had, it's, a, it's a whole other story for him. But just being a neighbor, he was fantastic and an excellent mentor. And having people like that in my life early, these are role models for me. So I, I had no choice but to do, you know, straighten up, fly right, do the right thing, and become somebody. That's what you have to do. You know, you have to have a purpose in life and, and, and do it. Because there's, there's too much work out here to do, uh, and we should do it. You know, put your hands to it. And that's what I always did. So I, I went on to do the KC, but when I was at Young KC, I got a communications degree. And I also got a degree from uh, the Missouri, uh, Missouri Conservation, I mean, Conservatory. Now, I'm talking about conservation, but it was conservative. <laughs> I mean, conservation now, but the Conservatory of Music. So I was there, and I had a fabulous time. And I, someone told me this. I might have been the only black student that graduated from there. I don't know that to be a fact during that time in the 80s. They said there was nobody else. People would go in, but they couldn't finish. They couldn't make it through. I made it through. And uh, a lot of the work that I did, I could not read music, but I could hear it. And I knew, uh, and I could ad lib, you know, I could I could sing and do all kinds of things. And my teacher discovered that I could not read. He said, you're doing this off through memory. We're going through this, and you hear it one time, and you got it. I'm like, I got it. But that's what I did. And, and you know, I was a singer. And we obtained, uh, like Nancy said, across the uh, the country and overseas, and it was a wonderful experience. So let me ask you this: So, growing up in uh, Kansas City, right, and you became a singer and traveled across the world to like Japan. What were some of the differences that you noticed, like growing up? You know, you grew up in. You uh, saw a lot, actually, if you think about it, because in your lifetime, Martin Luther King was assassinated. That that must have been completely it was life changing. It was very life changing because what you heard was wailing across the the city uh, when it happened. People, you could hear them crying out, and I remember hearing the wailing of the women around. I mean, it's just it was devastating. You know, and it has impact. You know, when I, I also was in California when we had the watch riot. And we, my grandmother had, we always, every year we take a vacation. She throw us in the, you know, she's ever camper in her, her Buick and whatever. And we go across Route 66. We're heading out to California, but we went to all the, um, you know, public lands and, and saw the Grand Canyon or Pike Peak or, you know, I saw the Alamo, and I was disappointed because I was like in the movie. You know, they had John Wayne, and Alamo is all big, it's so tiny, and it's like very disappointed. I'm like, what? 
but you know, that's another story. But when we went out to, to LA, uh, we had Aunt Ruth was a family member, and she owned the LA Sentinel. That's a very um, uh, old established black newspaper, and it's huge. It's so huge. But that was Aunt Ruth that had that, her and her husband. And we go and visit, you know, see her. But this one time we were there, they were in the middle of the, the, the watch riot took place. My brother Michael went down and participated. We were going there. I was supposed to go to Disneyland back then. I could not go. I was disappointed. I was mad. I'm like, oh. But we were sitting there in the hotel and we're seeing the, 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 the riot take place. You know, they had fire and smoke. And, and just people hollering and throwing stuff, you know. So we're getting that their local news. So we're getting a real good view. But what was crazy is that your uncle Michael was there. He was participating, and uh, my mother, my grandmother, they were totally nervous. They was up, you know, upset. They were like, "Where's Michael? We hope he, he's going to be safe. This is crazy. They might hurt him. They might kill him. You know, we didn't know. He made it back home. He came back smoking. He was happy. He loved it." <laughs> Michael was crazy. He enjoyed it. So I participated, and yes, I was going. So I was there, and you know. So, yeah. so do you, do you remember um, that I just found out recently that there was a race riot in Kansas City in nineteen right after uh, Martin Luther King got assassinated. Yeah. Yes, and, and and like I said, Spring Valley Park is a, is a uh, very centrally located part of the 27th and Woodland, Brooklyn, right in there. And um, the tank actually came down our block. Tanks, tanks, like military tanks? Military tanks. I'm a little girl. I'm sitting there. People are they're down in the park. They're shooting. I think somebody died down there. Yeah, I think the police shot somebody down there. And um, the National Guard, the tanks actually were coming through. Tear gas. I had tear gas in my eyes. It, it just broke my heart. And then you could see, if you stand on a porch, you could see the fires break out right around Prospect. You could see things were on fire. See if you could hear, I mean, it's just chaotic and crazy, and everybody was upset. And I remember that, and, and it really imprinted on me and changed, you know, how I looked at life to be exposed to tanks, military, going down your, your American, on your American soil fighting other Americans. It's crazy. You know, you mentioned uh, Prospect, but I remember the, I rode around with uh, Otis Keller and Tucky Sanders uh, with the tanks coming down and by the Byron Hotel. And a lot of people, if they had a record, they had killed them anyway and said that they was part of the ride. That wasn't true. And most of the people, the ride didn't spread over in the plaza. It was on the east side of the plaza. And my brother Bob, they were coming to arrest him because he did make the statement. He said, I'll blow the plaza up. And they came after him for making that, that, that was a, today they call it a terrorist threat. But he was out there and uh, he, he did a lot of work on the plaza because he was a radio guy. And so, you know, it was like some of us could be out there and some of us couldn't. Well, he was privileged then. And, uh, and was able to work and do things on the class. And, my, and I think my, my father did too. And it was like, you could not go there. It was like protected, no. And so, 
JC Nichols, you know. So the plaza was also, I, I know um, the plaza was segregated. So black people couldn't go down in the plaza back in the day? Or they didn't want you there and you could definitely oh, have property there. You know, you couldn't have property there at all. Truth was a dividing line. Yeah. Yes. You know, that makes a lot of sense. If you (laughs) just drive through Kansas City nowadays, you can tell, like, there used to be some type of dividing line. It's like night and day sometimes. Wow. When it's speaking to you, it did come to That's why you were asking earlier about when I would go overseas. And so the one thing I noticed that when I got to LAX and was flying out and head over to, I guess you stop in Hawaii and then on to Japan or whatever, uh, the culture shock was was something, but the people were so good to me. Now the crazy thing, when we were going to the airport, um, there was a, a wrestler by the name of, uh, his name, and one of those uh, famous wrestlers, not Ric Flair, but somebody else on that order, uh, we were walking through the airport, Haneda Airport in Japan, and he was, looked at us and said, he said, what you in doing here? And he started like, he was and we all stood there like, you know, come on, you know, you, I don't know who you think you're messing with, but we, we not your regular folks. And he was calling us names and stuff. I'm like, what, why do I have to go to Japan? And here's this white man wrestler, famous from America, Attacking us, calling us fans, and what are you doing here? And then I remember getting to our, uh, you know, getting situated to settle in because the Santa Night Club is a, it's a contract you get, you have a gift, and you're going to be there three to six months, you know, until your visa runs out, and then you leave, and then you can come right back, but you have to leave. They don't play the immigration thing there. Well, Kansas, why don't you tell us about your singing career, how you got involved? We talk about Shanghai, we talk about Singapore, but how did you get involved? Because when I uh, remembered you with uh, Lonnie and the band, you split the flankers that used to be on 59th and Prospect. How did you get involved into that singing profession? Well, I was always singing. I was singing from the time I was a little girl, so it was like a neighborhood thing. And you know, when you go to school, you have talent shows all the time, and you have bands and people you know, um, performing, and so different people uh, that was there. You had Willie Matthews, you know, who was now with the Count Basie band. You had Vernon Black, who was performed with everybody, like um, uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays, and Mariah Carey. And uh, so you have a lot of great musicians that were, I mean, it was like banging in Kansas City coming up. You had the jazz people, but after that, you had the people. I mean, and we had jazz background, but we went into uh, R&D because kind of changing but uh so i sang everywhere and then i was asked i was in one band and then uh they had lonnie in the band in front but actually before the running band i think his brother ronald was had the band he had willie in there and i think um uh a couple of other people and then when lonnie lonnie uh, had originally was with five them them and her and they were the best band in kansas i'm talking about oh my god five them and her groundbreaking and so they, Ronnie had performed with them, and then he left them, and he came back to Kansas City, and he got Ronald's band that he had, and then they asked me to come in and be the female singer, the vocalist for, for the band. And so we started performing everywhere. We were practicing, we were performing, 
we spent a lot of time uh, down on 18th and Vine because that's where you would go to the Musicians Mutual Foundation. And we had our union cards. So we had some, I guess, the last union cards, uh, uh, 67, we had those. And, um, and we, you know, and you sit in and you sing and you just, you know, uh, build your craft. And uh, we got a contract to come to Japan and other places. And, and, we, and we went over there. And that's how that kind of started. And I performed uh, with them. And, and one time I even performed with Cal Basie. He was really nice. <laughs> Cal Basie. And uh, Jay McShann and my uncle were best friends. So I've always had musicians or music around and in my life. And like I said, my family before always did hospitality to celebrities. And they know us. So when they, any celebrity would come to Kansas, you know, you had the... Uh, the uh, a lot of the R and B or you know all our music, our black music, they come in town. They would call me, and I would set up their hospitality for a lot of them. So I had people like um, I guess Jamie Foxx, hey Chris Rock. I had um, new additions, um, and I, I knew Stevie Wonder personally, so he's been a, a real close friend for years or whatever. And I used to travel with uh, him and his uh, and his you know, it's band a lot. Just, uh, you know, this is kind of how it is. Everybody's friends or whatever. Music is universal, a lot of love, and we take to one another. Well, also, before we get into what you're doing today, if you just tune in, you listen to this historical show, we got the Price Hubbard family, and I'm just like a little standby. Uh, what they say, a little fly on the wall or whatever. But on the same token, it's such, this is historical stuff. A lot of people, they don't know. They'll talk a different game, but they really don't know. Like over on 43rd and Charlotte, I'm jumping up to Carl Price Sr., where he had a director's cap, and Candy was there taking pictures because they were shooting Bucktown with uh, Pam Greer and with Fred Rico uh, Williamson. And Candy was, oh, she was, oh, they was decked out, boy, and they had their little prop chairs and everything before she got into a profession that they have carried all over the, the world today. But just tell, tell the people about that. You and your family, your father was a, a radio announcer. They all was in the entertainment field, except for their brother Carl. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> Well, my father was one of the original black DJs in Topeka, and he also, like, you have the Billboard magazine and all of the, you know, Rolling Stones, so he actually was the reporter, the black reporter for the trade magazine then, and we had Buddy Holly and all of them, but he was a, a radio guy, and so, um, they, he had, he, what had happened is the people from across the country actually wanted him to move to San Francisco or even New York. But he stayed here, you know, with the family with, uh, to, I guess, kind of take care of his dad, too, because he was getting sick at that time or whatever. But he stayed here, and he, he and my mom created uh, a black magazine called The News Nugget. And it actually had advertisements they were able to get when their first big advertisement was Coca-Cola. And that was unheard of. He was breaking the color line of ads for his magazine. And uh, he covered all kinds of different events and different things. 
took place. So the entertainers uh, were part of who he was, and he was an MC and a host, and he was a, a magician. A lot of people didn't know that my dad did magic. So what he would do a lot of times, he'd go to different schools and entertain the kids with magic. They had never seen a black magician. <laughs> and I always wonder, I said, how did he learn that? But then um, what I was, what I, you know, mom would say, well, you know, they, they would call him at that time, the gypsies would come into town. And this is what they call them, gypsies, and people like, oh, don't associate with them. Daddy, he and he uh, became friends with them, and they were fine. They loved my dad, and they probably showed him showed him a lot of sleight of hand. I mean, that's that's real. That's a true story. They were showing him things because they entertained him where they went different places. But he was a heck of an MC. He started up uh, uh, a lot of that. Well, he's not the he's not the real MC. I am. But your father was the one that inspired me to start publishing my uh, magazine called City in an Honor. Yeah. Uh, that was amazing because he actually mentored uh, Horace Peterson uh, with the Black Archives or whatever. Horace would come by, sit on his bed a lot, and talk to Dad. And he would tell him a, a whole lot of this stuff because coming from Topeka and what he was involved in, you know, they were very progressive there. And they had uh, kind of like their little Black Wall Street there that my grandfather was uh, part of, which was Dr. Charles Price, and he was a big politician, big Republican politician in Topeka. He worked with Alf Landon and worked on his campaign, which was Nancy, Nancy Castlebone's dad or whatever. So they spent a lot of time in politics. They were politicians, you know. They were, they were rolling that. And uh, so we... I guess my dad and them would have dinner with these different groups over there, Republicans or whatever, because at the time, a lot of black people were Republicans. You know, that changed as time went on. Uh, but they were part of the party of Lincoln at that time, and, and they were working it. But it switched over. Uh, the platform switched, the party switched to Democrats, you know, uh, they went Republican, Republicans became Democrats. It was really something. A lot of people challenged that. But it actually did take place, and, and, and like we're and crazy today. Um, so yeah, so my dad was a MC, and he also, like I said, he mentored Horace Peterson. Um, he mentored a lot of uh, young people came up. So he was part part of the inspiration of the Black Archive. A lot of people don't know that, but it's true. Uh, my dad introduced me to uh, Dr. Page. He would uh, come down our block because we're across the street from the park. He would come that way all the time, and then he crossed through the back driveway and he'd go over to the Williams family. And that would be uh, uh, Charles Williams and, and Martha Williams, whether he was best friends with them. So we saw him all the time. I didn't know who this man was. He was at special age. So I was blessed to meet all these great people, you know, through my family connections. They just knew all these uh, different things, and they inspired a lot of people. You know, when you heard that Get the Gold Mine, uh, that was inspired by my dad, too. And people were not, they were not, they're not going to admit to that. But I have all some paperwork and we had that. And then on the Quindaro Ruins, he was down there. He was, a, when I was, I think, about 12 years old, he took me down there. You know, because we lived in Kansas, Kansas, but he was at Quindaro. He was one of the uh, people that, um, the media part of Quindaro, where he was teaching and telling people what it was. So you know the guy, Marvin Robinson, I would say, your dad is the one who got me inspired. Now, you know, he's Mr. Quindaro now, right? So um, that was my daddy who uh, brought uh, spotlight to a lot of that. But his name was never mentioned when they give credit to different things. 
He took me down there. I was kicking rocks. He said, do not kick these rocks. This is sacred. I'm like, oh, okay. So he was involved in a whole lot of different things. And I guess at one, some point, uh, I guess we're going to have to tell his true story so these people know where things started. Well, you know, on the same token about your father, he was so instrumental uh, in cancer. You made the transition from Topeka, and then you got your, a lot of the people in uh, Tennessee. But on the same token, a lot of people don't realize because that history was not shared with them like it should be shared with them. Like my aunts, the Richardsons, back in Arkansas, they were teaching black history Negro history then, way back then. But then they just really, like everybody said, African studies, like they shot. And people uh, questioned that, said, well, it's all history. So we got people like uh, Miss Candace Price that can share that with us. And I know if you just tune in, you listen to a special broadcast with, um, <laughs> let me get these names right, Cheyenne and Candy Price. And we're talking about a lot of things. We still haven't got into uh, urban America outdoors, what they're doing now, and how they are going just as many countries. They probably surpass our show that we're doing today. But they go in a, they, they set the, and they got started by the help of Yuma, and where they got their first TV program, and we, we got so much things we need to talk about, but I'm going to let you guys talk. I might just interject something because it's hard for me to refrain when there's so much I know about your family, but the, the public has a right to know. I appreciate that. It's great to be there, and it's great to be with my daughter who was uh, embarked upon, um, you know, following in, in footsteps and actually taking it to the next level because Miss Cheyenne has been on TMZ about six different times. She's been on Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, they are calling her uh, all over uh, about, you know, let, let's, let's hear what she has to say, let's talk or whatever, because she brings an excellent perspective to, you know, from her generation that is needed. And I believe in letting young people talk. I learned so much being around the younger uh, people, and, and they keep me straight, you know. I can tell them what I, what I know, what I've been through, and what I see and then but I always am open to listen to what they want their future to be because they're going to inherit this. So Cheyenne has been very instrumental. Um, like we have the TV show Urban American Outdoors, and and that started about uh, 1998. And how that started is that I, I had worked at Channel 41 uh, for over a decade or whatever, and I worked as a star in the net outdoors. I had all this, you know, all these different media jobs or whatever. So I learned how to do a lot of things because when they had those different jobs, sometimes uh, the other folks didn't do it, and uh, they said, well, here, can you do it? And I'm like, okay. But at first, I kind of balked, but I was like, okay, that's good because I'm learning everything that I'm going to need to make my own. And I'm going to build my own table from the stuff. Since you don't want to do that job, you have the title, you're getting the salary. But I'm going to get the knowledge. And that's kind of like what happened. And and, and I uh, met Wayne Hubbard. We were working on, uh, we were brought together working on a project for, uh, with the Kansas City Chief, Marvel Thomas, Andre Rison, who was with the Chief at the time. And he was, his name was, you know, they called him Spider-Man. 
Wayne uh, was brought in to help negotiate. I was brought in to help do some of the marketing. He's a marketing person too. And uh, by different people. And we uh, enjoyed working together. We had a similar work ethic and got things done. So he was able to negotiate that particular deal, having the, the shirt with Andre Bison and the Spider-Man outfit on top of the Kansas City Chiefs football without having to spend any money. They only had to pay Andre. He talked to Stan Lee. Now, you have to remember Marvel Comics was um, having problems financially, so they're open, you know, they're open to talk, but just anybody can talk to them. Actually, Marvel came back after Blade came out. So what does science actually say Marvel Comics to a Blade uh, movie? A lot of people, you know, and then, then later you had your Spider-Man and you had your other stuff. But back to us, that's how Wayne and I got together. So we put the show together. He, he, said he was an outdoorsman. He's from Nowater, Oklahoma. He's black Friedman Cherokee. And he wanted to do an outdoor TV show from his perspective. He, uh, and I had a TV experience, and he said, how do we do this or whatever? We put our, our ideas together, and we went out and shot it. First, we had to kind of look at some of those outdoor TV shows, and they're, you know, white males dominated, and they're killing a lot of animals. I'm looking at it. I didn't like it. I'm like, oh, this is like, it was shot bad, produced bad, and I didn't like um, the animal aspect of how they did that, and they showed them they were very blatant with it. And I'm like, oh, that's not Wayne. Wayne's coming from an indigenous black man, and that's and, and the way he did it was totally different. It's just kind of more of a sacred kind of a spiritual thing, and everything you harvest you eat, and you, and you only take what you need. You don't go, you know. So I, I like that, and he took me out on desert hunt. And it was enjoyable, and it was more nature, and, and, and that's driven. So, you know, I like being out here, and I start understanding that being out in nature is good for us as black people. We need the fresh air. We need the sunlight. We need open spaces. We need to go out there to reconnect with the earth. You know, we were people, land people. We were spiritual people, and that brings all that connects all of that back together. So he said he wanted to do this show. We put it together. Uh, and to, and, and uh, I think in 2003, we sent it out. You know, we had prototype pilots, sent it out to different friends I had in TV land. And we were picked up by Thursday by three different syndicated, uh, pro, you know, uh, networks. Our show hit, and right after that, we were invited to the National Sports Inn. So, you know, they talk about any so white, and they didn't, you know, everybody talking about the birthday. We was there. 2004 in in New York at uh, the Marriott there doing the Emmy show and they had it. You had people like Daryl Strawberry walking around, um, the different news people of uh, NFL, you know, film, the Sobo Brothers. You had all these, you know, uh, Tim Russett. I mean, they were all there and they set us at the table with HBO people and the lady who created the Emmy, the original woman who was the one who came up with the Emmy concept, she and her husband sit right next to me and Wayne, and they were from Chicago, so that's where Emmy first started. And so we're sitting there with her, and she became my friend, and she was older, you know, she was probably, at that time, late 70s or something, and she was talking about it, and we became friends, and we talked, 
and the different things that she had used that she wanted to do, they weren't ready for it. So, anyway, today you have Emmy So White, and they just recently had all these people um, invited to the Emmys and, and, and stand there, and but they still didn't win. <laughs> That's the problem with the Emmys. But we have been nominated four times and have uh, one over 70-something plus broadcast and cable awards, and uh, it's been it's been just wonderful. And we talk about outdoor lifestyle, uh, about anything with nature, uh, wildlife, uh, environmental justice. We were talking about climate change when we first started, that we had a problem, we could see that something was wrong. And we've been talking about this forever and ever. And uh, today our show runs on, there's the network Sinclair. And Sinclair is the largest uh, TV affiliate uh, group in the country. So our shows are running there. And I think we're on Stir, which is a digital streaming platform for everybody to be able to see that. That starts in a minute as well. And we've been on nonstop since 2003, weekly. Why don't you tell our listeners some of the boards that you and Wayne sit on and how important they are? Well, as a matter of fact, this past week, I got a call from um, Secretary Bill Sachs' office uh, about a listening session that he had wanted uh, me to be on, participate. And, I mean, earlier they had sent me emails on it, and I I just kind of like, I just did, I guess I kind of ignored it. I, I'm so busy. But they called me and they said, we want you to listen session. So this past week, I was on a listening session. It was for racial justice. And, um, and they'll be creating a commission, and I believe that I'll probably be placed on this commission coming up. But prior to that, I was on a federal advisory committee, and, and those are called FACAs. And they pull from people across the country, and you, and you go uh, to D.C. or different places. And it was with the Forest Service. And the Forest Service with the USDA, and so they deal with all your agriculture, all your uh, their land management of all the forests. And there's 193 million acres of forest land, and the majority of your water comes off of forest land. So that's why it's very important that we are involved and at the table with that. So for five years, from 2012 uh, until mm, 2017 or whatever, I was on that and. My, I represented um, youth and underserved communities to make sure that the youth component was uh, involved, you know, with that. Come up here. Okay, you listen to uh, Candace Price and um, Cheyenne Hubbard, and they've given a thorough, we hope, background to what a lot of people are not privileged to. But then we step back to the Parkview Hotel where the entertainers have to stay there in Kansas City, located down on Temple Cell. They have Vivian, the restaurant on 12th Street. They have Johnny Cakes. But blacks go back to 9th Street. Then they wouldn't let them go past for where Satchel Page resides at, past 27th Street. But we have really come a long way, but we haven't gone far enough. So, uh, Cheyenne, we know that we haven't let, allowed you to talk. and. Our youth is our future, so would you join us? Are we on? Hmm. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you listen. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. 
So, yes, yes, hello. I was saying that it was very important to hear this story. Okay, let me tell you why. Because I, if I didn't have my mom, none of this information would have been passed down to me. I didn't know, I don't think a lot of my peers know any type of Kansas City history. Because we were just never taught. I used like, I feel like it's very important for, like, the older people to talk to their children, their grandchildren, and tell them what they went through, because it is so shocking to me. Like, when you talk about the tanks rolling down Kansas City, this blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. Because a whole race riot where they had to send in, that, I'm assuming, National Guard, and they had to send in tanks. That's just mind-blowing. Like, what What else do I not know? <laughs> because there's just been a lot of events that happen in Kansas City. Like, I think I just recently found out that there's tunnels under Kansas City. And no one talks about that. <laughs> because of, I guess they used to have streetcars. And they brought back the streetcars. So it's not as big as before. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of tunnels and caves in Kansas City. And um, I think Hollywood has a big city because a lot of the towns are preserved or kept in Kansas City areas and in, in, in those caves underground and it's cold, it's cold and refrigerated. So some of the original Hollywood movies are here. A lot of people don't know that. And then there's food that are underground. And you have a lot of underground businesses. So, you know, a lot of folks don't know that. Yeah, and see, I just, when I went, I go to UMKC currently, right, and talking about records and, like, old Hollywood films, at UMKC, they have this thing called the Sound Archives, and there's so many archives just in Kansas City that no one talks about, and you can just find so much historical records just right in your hometown. Oh, that's free of charge. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's called the, the Moore Sound Studio, the archive. Yes. Moore was my actual professor when I was out at UMKC, and he was gonna, he taught me how to uh, do archives. He, he was my, he was my favorite. I took as many classes as I could in the Gaylord Moore, and he was amazing. So all of that is from the body of work that he started. And I got to do my first oral history. He had me go out and just interview people. And uh, so he was, he was the perfect uh, educator for me. And I, I just loved him dearly. And so now you're back in the space that I was where he started me. But you're in his archives. And you'll, you'll probably be doing a lot of that coming up as well. That's <laughs> that. Yeah, because that's 
very important. And, and, and uh, to have Cheyenne to be, to be on that platform is such a blessing, and we appreciate the opportunities that you do for her there, and also see what you're doing with Yuma. Uh, that's what we that's what we have to do with our with our youth is that what we've all been blessed to have we have to pass it on we have to test and have them carry it on so that everything that we do will not be in vain but it's a legacy piece and so um, this this is fabulous and I'm I'm so excited uh, that she has the opportunity and has great leaders such as herself uh, allowing that because that doesn't happen every day you know it's not it's not available. And if it is, sometimes, um, sometimes it's not given to, to the next group. And that's why. You guys are fabulous for that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. But you know what? Once again, each and every Saturday, our time, our time is about up. So uh, would you two or three say what our people need to know and how you can be reached? and how many people we are reaching and we steady building. Well, I'll to reach um, myself, Candace Price, the Urban American Outdoor TV, you can call us direct at 913-334-5177. Yes, I do answer my phone and I do talk to people all across the country. They do call me. And they're always like, you answer your own phone, you're really talking to me? I'm like, yes, because that's important. I, I, I'm, I'm the people. I stay with the people. And um, I guess if you want to reach Cheyenne, I guess Cheyenne, you have an email. Yes, Cheyenne, what are you presently doing? Besides you on the show, you also have a business. Oh, yes. Uh, I have a business, and it's called Connected Trees. And it's a genealogy business. I find people's ancestry, their cousins, their family. It's really nice to find out who you really are, basically, and who you came from. And so if you have any questions for me, uh, my number is 913-202-8359. And Mr. R. Folks, and who are you with now? <laughs> well, I'm the uh, founder CEO of the Missouri Vaccine Congress. But I also uh, host uh, Voucher to Missouri Black Chamber of Commerce. That's where every Saturday from 1 to 3 uh, on Ferguson, USA. And I can reach the radio station, or you can get my email address. That's Ira, I-R-A, folks, L-F-O-W-L-K-E-S, at Yahoo.com. And I'm with the United Minority Media Association. And also, we're planning to have a Zoom meeting next Friday. Saturday from uh, 3.30 to 4.30, and then we have a special show with some people there called the Arkansas Peace and Justice Memorial Movement. That'll be on next Saturday from 5 to 6, but the first one is on from 3.30 to 4.30, and you can call me, 816-822-8866. We'll tell you how you can be part of the Zoom meeting. And... Mr. Scott, yes, sir. we haven't heard from you. I have been quiet. <laughs> but uh, uh, my name is Scott Owen. I'm the general manager of Ferguson USA, hottalkradio.com. Uh, you can reach me at voiceovers 
for you, number four letter U, at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, and we want the Chiefs to win tomorrow. And Arkansas is beating Texas A&M. And what did Missouri do, Ira? I'm not sure, but the Cardinals won today. They're sitting on the Cardinals record. They won 15 games in a row. Well, Mr. Ira, folks, why is it important that people listen to and tune in to Ferguson USA Hot Talk Radio? Also, you have a website. You have podcasting. You have uh, archives. Why is it important? Well, it's important, okay. The, 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 uh, the station kind of grew out of the Michael Brown era, you know, some years ago. And it's, uh, and the Greensboro Hill that your church where we're located at now, and our first university, I thought radio was located in the great St. Lawrence Stanley Church in the basement here. And here we still uh, let black people have a voice in our community. We have white people, we have black people. We want to call the rainbow where we can all come together and also stick each other and work together as a team. Well, that's it for today, but be sure to stay tuned. And what days, repeat again, when can you be heard, Mr. Folks? Oh, and also, um, Cheyenne. Oh, matter of fact, Cheyenne's uh, show is coming on every third Saturday in the month. She can be heard on lunch with some Zubac Chief McCombers. Am I right, Cheyenne? Yes. yes. And she also is on every fourth Saturday on Guess Who's Coming to Kansas City. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. uh, We need to bond together. We also need to identify various sponsorships so we can all exist. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Candy. Uh, are you going to bring me some bison or the pheasant or are you, you on break right now? <laughs> we have something for me. Okay, something for me. <laughs> and let me, for, for the benefit of our people don't know, uh, the Price family and the Huffman family will become part. They're going to be an associate member because they have a family not only in Topeka but also down in Atlanta, Georgia. So. They all over, there's so many prices, about as many prices they got riches around here, but we're all working together and we allow Mr. Our folks to come and to get involved with us, even though he's off the plantation down there. And when we can stop Mr. Uh, Scott from riding his motorcycle, we can get in touch with him too. <laughs> we, we, so we thank you so much. <laughs> we're all in the family, that's a good thing. Yeah.